Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, Oxford University, and Kantar, the data insights and consulting company. In each episode, we speak to industry leaders about the big issues in marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future. I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. At the Site Business School. I'm Julie Coleman, Chief Research Officer for Cantor. Today's podcast is about how close we are to actually realizing AI and machine learning's full potential to support marketers in getting to deeper understanding of consumers. All of us as marketers have been dreaming of the promise of AI and machine learning to help us better understand unstructured data, to drive um, a better understanding of sentiment and emotion in the text data that we have and in the image data that we have. And yet, in most cases, we just aren't there yet. So today we wanted to explore more about what might be happening in the industry that could get us to the full potential of understanding consumers better through AI and machine learning. And we're really, really pleased to have Dr. Natalia Efremova um, from the Side Business School at Oxford University. With us, Natalia is a computer scientist who's a research fellow in marketing and AI in the Oxford Future of Marketing Initiative. So Natalia, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for introduction, Julia Andrew. I'm happy to be here today. And so we thought we'd kick it off by defining what we're talking about here a little bit, because we use the term AI, but we know that that's probably the wrong term to a computer scientist. So what what are we talking about here? Just sort of briefly, if you could summarize that. Well, in computer science, we usually don't call AI AI. What would we usually refer to is a bunch of machine learning algorithms that we apply to different problems. We can consider it as a big Lego that uh, consists of many different pieces, and these pieces are parts of machine learning algorithms. For different tasks, we can combine them in different ways, but it's not one thing, like not one big AI, but rather a bunch of different unrelated things. The big promise of AI and what we've all been looking for is for this this group of Lego blocks to be able to derive the true and accurate meaning from unstructured text or from face from faces from images why are we ha- why are we struggling to get to the point where that feels like it's an accurate representation uh, real life data is really very difficult to understand there are different pieces that we need to process separately for example if we consider real-time video processing there will be three different components we need to understand the images or uh, the set of frames 
Uh, second, we need to understand the voice and emotion in this voice. And third, we need to decode the text on this video. So when we talk about face uh, recognition and voice recognition, it will be emotion recognition task. And when we talk about text, it will be sentiment analysis task. So you're talking about emotion and sentiment, and, and obviously marketers want to uh, find whatever data they can get out there, maybe in social media, to identify sort of how positive or negative um, consumers are about their brand or product or whatever it might be. So, so what's the distinction there that you're talking about in terms of what we would call sentiment analysis versus emotion recognition? Historically, there were two different fields working on this. Computer vision, which is more emotion recognition and face recognition, and natural language processing, which is text analytics. This is why there are two different groups of machine learning algorithms that work on this. And to better understand all types of online data, we need to process both emotions and sentiment. Uh, and when we speak about emotions, we speak about face usually and gestures and prosody in our speech. And when we speak about sentiment, it's purely natural language processing. And why is it so difficult to determine either emotion or sentiment from this data? Unfortunately, people show different emotions in different cultures and different countries. And so we need to uh, analyze a lot of data in order to understand everyone equally. Not all emotions are the same. Not all uh, sentiment is the same, depending on the culture, depending on the language, depending on the circumstances in which we're looking at the person. For example, in social media, a person can express uh, himself or herself one way and in official environment, it will be totally different behavior. So in order to analyze everything equally, we need to have a large data sets that will reflect both types of behavior. So there's two pieces to this. From what I'm hearing you say, there's, there's the data that we use um, to train the algorithms and then we want to get insights out of the data and there's the algorithms themselves. Where are we falling behind? Is it the algorithms? Is it the data? Is it both? So the algorithms will work equally well in all the environments usually. But what is crucial for us to understand the behaviors, to understand emotions and sentiment is to have the right data because uh, different data can be different in different languages, in different cultures, in different countries. And there is a lot of bias in the way we collect the data and in the way algorithm can interpret this data. For example, if we think about image recognition, uh, try to Google CEO in English. And what you will have as a result is a bunch of images of uh, white middle-aged men. And this is a good reflection of a bias because historically uh, CEOs of big companies were mostly men. And now when algorithms will be searching for the data online, it will find mostly male characters as CEOs, which is good representation of a bias. So this is not algorithm that we need to control, but rather, rather how we manage the data, how we collect the data. Similarly, bias will be enhanced in different cultures, if you think about it. For example, historically, some uh, professions only supposed to be male professions and some professions in other countries supposed to be female professions. Uh, think about an example of a doctor and a nurse. 
it's a very good example that we need to monitor uh, while collecting the databases. So the key to good construction of algorithms is understanding what we are collecting and how we are collecting to avoid bias in our systems. So if the size of the database is critical to making sure that we have enough to train the algorithm on and potentially have a broad enough base that some of that bias could be minimized, it feels like there's an awful lot of data running around in the world off of social media, off of all of the CCTV cameras that we're all exposed to. It feels strange that we don't have enough data to be able to make this work. <laughs> yes, that's true. We don't have enough data and sometimes we cannot even collect this data. Uh, our regulations uh, in many cases don't allow us to collect full data that algorithms might need. Some algorithms, such as deep learning, require millions of data points to make it work the best. So we need to collect a lot of data samples and sometimes it's very difficult due to regulations in many countries. So unfortunately, there is a competitive advantage in, this, in the countries that don't have these regulations. But it shouldn't be the obstacle to gathering and processing the data in many cases. Sometimes, uh, academically, databases are available for many tasks. Sometimes they are publicly available data databases for many tasks. So if uh, a company or an institution really wants to develop a good algorithm, there is always a source of information, a legal source of information. Sort of curious, because I think it's a good point that, that regulation actually plays a big role in inadvertently becoming a barrier to advancement here. Where are there some areas within sort of machine learning where there really is a sort of a lack of good data for solving problems that would otherwise be, be really important to solve. A good example of the fields when where there is a lack of data is actually motion recognition because it's really difficult to uh, collect these databases and uh, videos of uh, good emotions for all types of emotions, both positive and negative, are not really often available. This is because of uh, experimental ethics. We during experiments cannot collect negative emotions. We cannot make people feel negative emotions. That's why some emotions like disgust, anger, pain are really poorly represented in our data samples and it's really difficult to collect them. So we need to refer to medical applications and adjacent areas to collect these types of data. They're, they're occurring naturally. Also, uh, there is a good practice of recording emotions of an actress to understand emotions uh, of people in real life, but this is also not always working very well. Just because actors' emotions and real people's emotions are slightly different when we're trying to uh, show emotions, they appear to be slightly different and we're really lacking good data to uh, make this field work. Many companies try to collect their own databases, but I think that the common effort is required here to help us to advance the fields. So people are, um, many companies are trying to collect, uh, to assemble these data sets from mobile phones, from desktops, from uh, CCTV video recordings. Uh, but this is not always uh, aligned with the regulations and it's not always easy to collect in a very good resolution. So there are many obstacles in this field, but I think it's advancing rapidly. So is there any work being done on defining algorithms that can work with less data? Yes, many uh, researchers and uh, top universities are working on solving these problems in developing algorithms that would enhance the data and try to make little data work 
so far, uh, we've been developing more and more complex algorithms to decode the data. But these days, we're trying to develop algorithms that will work with less data. So, for example, uh, very advanced algorithms uh, in medical applications where it is really difficult to collect good data, uh, working with uh, just three or four hundred of samples and cooperation to millions and millions examples for the models that were constructed a few years ago. So I understand much more now about the difficulty of being able to recognize emotion, but in terms of sentiment within text data, surely there's plenty of data that we can access from a text perspective, and yet we still don't seem to be able to become highly accurate at understanding sentiment. Yes, you're uh, right. There, there is a lot of data available for sentiment analysis, and actually very advanced algorithms solve this task extremely well. So good deep learning systems for natural language processing understand sentiment very well. The only problem with these algorithms is that they're quite difficult to build and even more difficult to train. It requires a lot of data and it requires extremely good researchers and engineers to solve these problems. Uh, also, working with large amounts of data like millions and millions of texts would require some computational capacities, so not every company can afford these resources. Especially when we're talking about people, this is a really scarce resource these days. Everyone wants to hire good machine learning researchers, uh, as you mm -hmm. probably know, and uh, it's really difficult to find a good uh, researcher for starting positions. People start hiring uh, students from master and PhD courses while they're at the beginning of their programs these days. So this is the most scarce resource. This skills resource, the people resource is really important. So what, what should we be doing as an industry to address that? I do believe that there is a skills gap from both sides because not always uh, all engineers can work with marketing applications and not uh, all business people can understand engineers. So what I believe we need to do is to start educating people from both sides. So to educate more applied researchers in comparison to theoretical researchers from on one hand and try to implement more uh, machine learning courses and AI courses in business schools and other sci applied sciences and social sciences and so on. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Given that complexity on both the emotion and the sentiment side and the difficulty in scaling that capability appropriately, are expectations too high in terms of emotion and sentiment being a scalable tool for commercial organizations? 
I don't think that expectations are inflated here. I do believe that production of good systems in uh, marketing agency is actually possible. Sometimes it's easier to outsource these type of applications to professional teams, but uh, being able to run them and being able to collect good data for these uh, applications is also crucial. So I do believe that companies need to look more carefully into AI and what is needed to uh, even run these applications to be able to manage this. Despite uh, the common belief uh, to manage AI systems, you don't need a PhD. Even a high-level explanation is enough for people to understand what uh, AI system is doing, what re resources are important to make it work very good. So suppose I'm a, a CMO, where do I begin? You know, you're talking about AI or machine learning systems and, and these could be, you don't need to have a PhD in computer science to think about how to use these things. So, but you know, if, I, if I'm a marketing leader, where do I begin if I'm not up on these things already to, to learn about this, to, to do it properly so that I don't have unreasonable expectations or waste a lot of money and time? So uh, being uh, a CMO is really difficult these days. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> to cite a famous writer, Lewis Carroll, here it takes all the running you can do to keep at the same place <laughs> in these terms to stay competitive on the market and if you want to get somewhere else you must run at least twice as fast as that so CMO these days need to know their job and need to understand how AI systems digital marketing works at least high level because there is a big portion of marketing that requires understanding of AI algorithms or at least digital marketing uh, so what I would recommend is to look at some online courses. There are plenty of those. They are released by online platforms. They are released by biggest universities. Uh, so it's, it will be a good idea to listen a brief course on what it is, what is AI about to get a high level understanding on what where to focus because it's not really very difficult. If you look at this carefully, it's quite simple. It's just a bunch of tools and we just need a very basic understanding and just a bit of time to uh, make it work. And after you get uh, understanding of basic principles, basic types of machine learning out there, for example, what is computer vision, what is natural language processing, and how these two can help you enhance your product, it will make a big difference. And it will allow you to speak to your research and development teams, to speak to other agencies, to outsource some jobs to a smaller startups or technical companies. So if things are changing significantly for marketers, how has AI machine learning, the existence of that in their lives, changed things for consumers? Oh, I do believe that uh, machine learning algorithms totally change consumer behavior. For example, think about recommendation system in any big website where, the, where you do your purchases. If you click on something and you don't see customers who bought this have also bought that, you would really be disappointed. And this is something about expectations. These days we expect uh, the advanced algorithms to predict what we want to buy, what other people buy, what is available there. And uh, to, sp to stay competitive, companies have to build certain algorithms in their online uh, systems because w uh, we just expect it to happen. Our expectations are adjusted every day. 
because companies offer new tools and new types of recommendation algorithms every day and uh, other advanced companies follow. So the new technologies advance very quickly this way and in a few months we expect everyone to follow that trend and to offer us the new tools that other companies offer us. It is very important to be companies to follow these trends just in order to stay competitive and to adjust to customers' expectations. These days, when we go, when we do online shopping, and we try to keep our identity safe, keep our data safe, we switch off cookies to prevent companies to track our behaviors and our purchases. But at the same time, when we don't see customized advertisement or well customized recommendations we get furious uh, why don't they offer us these advanced tools that they have not uh, understanding that we actually don't allow people to use this data so these are two sides of the technology on one hand we don't want our data to be used on the other hand we want to uh, consume the best algorithms out there so what do you think the next big breakthrough in this area will be from a marketing perspective so if we look at the advanced analytics in marketing these days, there will be generally three big tasks. So one is descriptive analytics, uh, which is, is already advanced. There are no big breakthroughs in this field. Uh, descriptive analytics is about how the field works, how we collect the data about the users, what are the main requirements of main groups of users, segmentation of the market, and so on. The other big bucket is predictive analytics, is trying to uh, predict recommendations or predict the supply or predict the stock, uh, predict the demand for a particular product, which is also very well solved these days. And the third big bucket is automation. So we just outsource the decision about certain actions to an algorithm. And this thing is yet to be developed. It's not working very well yet. So if the first two are almost explored and not advancing too rapidly, the automation of our decisions is something that we are yet to develop. And so far, I wouldn't trust people who say that they have developed fully automated recommendation system, fully automated uh, decision system, because these things do not exist yet. We always need a person to make a decision, even when we have basic analytics on place already. So what would it require to fully automate that recommendation process or that decision process and take the human out of it? I don't think we can take human out of it yet, for good or for bad. <laughs> uh, but I don't think we're uh, anywhere near that. And it will take a long time to be able to fully trust AI system to make decision on a high level. So small level tasks, yes, we can automate. But when there is a big decision to be made, we need a human. And, and I'm guessing humans probably aren't ready to let the machines take over. I come across people who believe that AI is a magic black box that will solve everything <laughs> for them, like literally every day. It's not? Really? Okay. <laughs> but I believe that there is not enough trust in general among people to AI. So when we ask people if they trust AI, people generally do not trust AI. And I think it's better for everyone to trust uh, their decision to a human at this stage. And trust is a big issue. So we really need to think more about 
if we understand the system very well before we can trust it. So we usually don't trust something we don't really understand. So we need to work on uh, building this trust on the first place and building the understanding how these algorithms work more. Yeah, that's actually supported by some research that was done by Mindshare late last year, which when they ask people whether or not they think AI is positive or negative, only around 40% thought AI was a positive thing for their lives. And yet when they ask them about individual specific AI-enabled benefits, like you know your fingerprint ID on your phone or facial recognition for a boarding pass you know, to allow you to get on a plane or predictive text, they thought, oh yeah, those are great. Those are very positive. 60-70% said that those were positive. So it is interesting how the idea of AI is concerning for people and yet very specific AI-enabled benefits are a positive thing. So what do you think, you know, we used to talk about the killer app that mm. would actually make, you know, the iPad or the, the smartphone become ubiquitous in the world. What do you think the killer app for AI is that would kind of get over the hurdle, get over that trust hurdle? Let me chime in on this killer app thing because I think there's a lot of killer apps, so to speak, that are already there, but it, it, it's where people are using these machine learning driven tools in their daily lives and they're kind of low risk. So something like, you know, the example you used around uh, a boarding pass to, to get on a flight, which, which I just did recently for the first time the other week. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. It's sort of a benign thing. I Maybe I should be worried about, you know, the airline taking a picture of my face or something, but, eh, you know, they've got that passport photo anyway. So that seems benign and low risk. Uh, there's some research that um, is actually I just saw published in the Journal of Consumer Research by some colleagues in the U.S. around AI-based decisions in medical fields, and people really, really don't like that um, because you can imagine that's higher risk. So I think there's something about if it, if you know, if it goes wrong, it's not going to be a big deal. People are okay with that. Seems to be where we're at at the moment. But I, I do wonder, and, and Natalia, I know you're working on some applications of AI for social good, sort of aligned with the UN's uh, Sustainable Development Goals uh, with one of the startups you, you co-founded uh, called Deep Planet. It does seem like if we want to solve some big problems in the world, we have to sort of leap over this bigger hurdle and get people to buy into AI for, for bigger things. Well, indeed, if we looked at some uh, applications of AI for social good, first of all, it really can make difference. AI can make difference in this field that are not really well established yet and where we cannot really measure things very well, we, when we cannot really observe things such as satellite imagery for agriculture, when we need to analyze things on a really large scale, when we need to look at the whole globe and understand what is happening. For example, when we're talking about agriculture, when we're talking about freshwater supply, when we're talking about climate change it is important to really look at our planet at large scale and here is exactly where ai is really useful and when we can trust it because there are nothing that can analyze it at all anyway we don't have enough manpower to look at uh, our planet on the global scale so the only uh, applications that can actually process these amounts of data are ai applications both computer vision uh, and remote sensing tools and tools like radars, radar imagery, uh, multiband imagery that will help us to understand what is happening on the surface of our planet, what is happening in the water and so on. Speaking about marketing applications, we can look at our planet at global scale also. 
for example, we can better build logistics, we can uh, understand what crops are growing in different parts of the world, how we can efficiently use resources that are closely located to our production sites, how to build logistics better in order to deliver goods better and to reduce the storage in the warehouses to understand how many people attending our shopping malls by just counting the cars on the parking lots. All these are applicable both uh, for AI goods and sustainability goals and for marketing applications. Also, uh, when we speak about AI for good, uh, some applications that can really build trust and uh, help people to understand that AI is generally a good thing. Uh, some medical applications when we just need to record and analyze a lot of data uh, in the areas where there is not uh, enough doctors, for example, in rural parts of Africa and India, there are not enough uh, doctors who can analyze uh, ultrasound images, uh, x-ray images, but AI can do it quite good to some extent to detect like big problems. It is not good uh, as a real doctor, of course, in many cases, but at least it help, can help to some extent. And there are many fields in which machine learning tools can be applied. For example, when we're talking about analyzing poverty, there are many applications that have been recently developed from scientists in Stanford University to understand which places in Africa are too poor to even afford lighting at night. So they compare day images with night satellite imagery to understand where they actually people live, but there is not enough money to afford even lighting at night. Uh, all these applications are very important in our everyday lives and we should try to use them more to work towards uh, sustainability goals. All right, so if we're looking into the future, what would you say is going to be the most important thing now for marketers in terms of thinking about machine learning applications in particular? Uh, well, we do have already amazing algorithms and I think the future is not really in advancing our algorithms but being able to collect good data efficiently and in some cases even to start using the data that we already have. Many companies are collecting loads of data but they're not using it or using it inefficiently. So being able to uh, tap into this resource is actually very crucial these days. People need to learn how to store this data, how to collect their data and how to use their existing data efficiently. I think this is the key to successful implementation of AI for marketing and for many other applications. been listening to Future Proof. For all episodes and more information, visit uk.cantar.com or oxfordfutureofmarketing.com. Please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you know when new episodes are released. Thank you.